welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News, and this week I am joined by only one of my co-hosts. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So we're going back into the well of things we very much like, um, just like we did last week, and yep. usually usually what we do. We usually never really talk about... We have new stuff to talk about in we our well. In our well. Um, there's a show... Uh, out there in space called Star Trek Discovery and you know we uh we like it so we're gonna talk about it we are gonna talk about it um Willoughby tell me um your relationship with Star Trek um well I believe they can go to our episode on Star Trek for that but also I'll say that it's great I love Star Trek um the show I've watched the all the all the shows centered around an enterprise all the movies also set around an enterprise and snippets of Voyager and Dis- Deep Space Nine. Um, and I'm all caught up on Discovery. And I just think it's so great when they do, like, humanity pulling things together, doing their best out there in space. Um, and with Discovery, uh, at first I didn't think it was going to be like that because I thought it was going to be, like, the gritty reboot of Star Trek that we all sort of, like, feared um, because yeah. it's, like, because I think they were comparing it to Game of Thrones by the fact that people died. You know, like, people we thought that were main characters were die, so they're like, the Game of Thrones of the Star Trek universe. And I was like, no, thank you! You're um, like, that is not what we want. That is not what we want at all. But what we ended up with is something a little bit of an amalgam of both of that, that where it's, like, gritty, but the characters aren't. Um, and the themes aren't. And the themes aren't. And so, like, yeah, I've always liked Star Trek um since a long time ago uh not in a galaxy far far away in the galaxy say. here okay. um yeah <laughs> Different um, so, so yeah we're gonna this is all to say that we're gonna be talking about star trek discovery here probably in mostly generic stuff for season one like i don't know how much we we want to spoil but i guess we'll say spoiler alert if you're like not caught up with star trek or um but I think like this is gonna be sort of like, sort of like our Doctor Who episode with HT when Anya was out. HT is not here, so uh, we sort of have some of these backup episodes. Yeah, and Philippe and I are both huge Star Trek fans. I think I'd probably mentioned in our episode like I've literally been a Star Trek fan since before I was born. Since, since my before parents, you were born. Since my parents met at a Star Trek convention, so it's like literally in it's my in blood. blood. Yeah, yeah, it's in your DNA. Um, and I'm a huge huge Star Trek fan. I mean, I think Willoughby, you and I have very similar sensibilities when it comes to kind of like idealism and optimism and kind of like the resilience of humanity in the face of kind of bleakness. Yep. And I think that's, I mean, that is probably the biggest reason I love Star Trek, like the kind of overarching massive reason. Um, and I feel like you would probably agree. Yeah. Um, and I agree that Discovery you know, it, it's sleeker, it's a little darker aesthetically than any Star Trek series before. You know, it looks more modern and kind of gritty, but it still feels like Star Trek. And I agree. the characters and themes feel like Star Trek and they feel like Roddenberry's vision. Um, so, Willoughby, tell us a bit about Discovery, um, when it takes place. Um, there are so many different timelines when it comes to Star Trek. So why don't you just give us a quick overview of discovery i will do that so star trek discovery takes place roughly 10 years before the five-year mission of captain kirk and the voyages of the star trek enterprise um it takes it's centered around a character michael burnham played by uh Sonequa martin green and she is the foster sister of spock who you, you guys may be familiar with um pointy ears he's a pointy-eared bastard um so yes uh she is a i believe a lieutenant commander um at this at this point and uh starts a war between the klingons and the federation um and that's sort of the the problem with season one in terms of not problem but like the overall arching plot of season one is the klingon war that has been been mentioned before yeah yeah it's been mentioned before uh 
like I think they talk about it in the original series and the next generation and the Klingons have kind of always been the uh um the Federation's Russia I guess or yeah. Soviet Union I should say um and at this point this Cold War got hot and got real hot it got real hot um it got real 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 hot and yeah, so we basically, and the, the the Discovery itself was a science vessel, but now it's been, like, retrofitted to be a war warship, um, captained by, Isaac, uh, not Oscar Isaac, Jason Isaacs, Captain Gabriel Lorca, and there's this interesting thing called the Spore Drive, where instead of yeah. warp, they just sort of, like, teleport the entire ship from one Using place to another. Yeah. And... Um, that's weird. What a weird thing, and what science. a weird thing that is never mentioned in any other series. It is, it is science, Willoughby. <laughs> this is the this is the the weird thing with uh doing a Star Trek show set before Kirk is that you sort of have to um at some point resolve these like outlier things like a spore drive would change the entire Federation yeah forever and yeah. but it, but then at the end they're like oh. It's only going to be used on the Discovery and or not at all. Um, And it's, yeah, it's kind of like hard to reconcile some of these things. We're just like that. They never talk about this in Star Trek before. And it's like, well, there's a lot that doesn't. And I think you just kind of have to like, with some of these things, you kind of just have to say like, okay, and just kind of accept it and move on. Um, Like we should mention. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, in the most recent episode of, uh, I won't, it's not a huge spoiler, but Captain Pike um, talks about how he disabled uh, holographic telephone calls on the Enterprise because he thinks they look too much like ghosts, which is why um, everything is view screen to view screen on the Enterprise in the original series, which is why, like, if you go to, like, um, you know, if you see anything Discovery, like, whenever they talk to each other, they're always, like, using holographic telephones if they're not on the view screen in the bridge um it's like a little like little things that kind of like are trying to uh place the enterprise in like or discovery in the in the uh original series timeline which i should say this show is not in the jj verse of movies with uh chris pine and zachary quinto as kirk and spock but this is in the original series timeline with William Shatner as Kirk and uh, Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Um, so there's some, you know, the the uniforms are different, but they're sort of starting starting to like um, incorporate the uh, original series uniforms as like the they're 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 the quote unquote newer versions um, yeah. of the of the uniforms we see. Like if you guys have seen any promo of Discovery, they're wearing these like nice blue blue and silver or blue and gold uniforms that are more reminiscent of like the jj verse um stuff but they're like slowly starting to look like um what we what we see in captain kirk and uh in the original series um the cast is great i love all the characters doug jones plays the the first the second in command uh doing probably his best work saru is very good um, Doug Jones is mainly known for being like a very um, physical actor in a lot of yes. Guillermo del Toro's movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he played uh, what's his name in Hellboy. I forget the name, but he's the uh, fish he monster. He played um, Abe. Abe. Abe Sapien. He's Abe Sapien in Hellboy as well as the fish monster in Shape of Water. Um, he and the pale man in uh, Pan's Labyrinth, like he's yep. a lot of these like creatures that um, Guillermo del Toro has created. But in this, he's playing an alien, um, also very like thin and lanky. Probably and... most reminiscent of Abe, I would yeah, say. Yeah, it's it. And he uses like the same. He uses Owen. Oh, uh, um, what's his face? Uh, I don't think Doug Jones voiced Abe in Hellboy. I feel like that was um, David Hyde Pierce. If I'm correct. Either way, Doug Jones is voicing and being the the physical body of Saru, and it's very cool. It's all prosthetics. Um, I think he's neat. Um, I agree. I think I think yeah, the characters. We should dive into them when we start getting into the specifics. Um, so yeah, I want to talk to you about kind of like 
Discovery as a whole, a whole creation. Um, because it's interesting, because I kind of feel, I, I loved the first season. But looking back on it, it feels sort of like a, a prequel. Yeah. Like, it feels like the current season is where Discovery actually starts. I can agree with you on that, because I feel like this season, because it takes place over a war, is a very concentrated, it was like a concentrated amount of time, um, and not a, not Star Trek as we know it, in terms of, like, let's go on an away mission, and, like, let's, do you know, it's not the, the series, it's not um, episodic, it's very serialized, mm-hmm. so every episode leads into another episode. Um, it They did a couple, like, one-off bottle episodes or time warp episodes where you're stuck in a loop which is always fun um but the uh for the most part it's one one story told over 15 episodes or maybe two stories over over 15 episodes because spoiler alert they go to the mirror universe and that's but it like ties into the klingon war and it does there's a lot going on and they have kept those threads up like um ash tyler the big character in season one and he is still in season two and his storyline is kind of still that serialized overarching plot um with that was klingons. very much tied to the klingon war um but it, it almost i don't know if i wish that they had made season one just kind of like a two-hour movie or like like a two-part like long episode sort of like event and right. then got into what we're doing in season two. Um, the irony is that the first two episodes of season one are that for exactly. the rest of the season. So you're yeah. you're saying like compress it even more, have it more like be maybe take. I mean, obviously there's a stuff a bunch of stuff that isn't you can t- you can take out to streamline it. But um, you're saying that season the season two is now the Star Trek Discovery that we thought we'd all get. I think so. I think so. And I think kind of like they wanted to do the Klingon War and that maybe could have been just like a like a giant like event prequel to Discovery. Or maybe even not a whole fifth, not a whole season, maybe like a mini series. Sort of like yeah. how Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica, Galactica started off with two 88, 88 minute episodes um, that led into uh the rest of the series which like if you go onto hulu and you look up battlestar galactica it's 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 two separate series it's the quote-unquote mini series and mm-hmm. then there's the actual season that starts with episode uh titled 33 so like if you don't watch the mini series you really won't have an idea of what happens yeah and the- i kind of think discovery should have done that um that being said i still enjoyed season one um and i'm enjoying season two and so I don't think it was like bad. It just, it does feel like season one was kind of like an overly long prequel because now we're actually getting into discovery um, and its missions and its crew and kind of staying with them without the overarching plot of like a war. Right. Um, and cause I think that's something I love both about Star Trek and something that I think they've kept intact in discovery is that the Federation, it's not like a military it's a peacekeeping armada. It's a peacekeeping with the intention of science and exploration and, well, discovery. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I love that, you know, I love that wars will still happen. They will always happen. There are there are different races and different um, cultures in this whole universe. And, of course, there's going to be clashes and there's going to be things like that. But... And Discovery doesn't shy away from that, but it still maintains that, like, the Federation and the starships and the crews on them, they are not soldiers. And they know that. And so I love that that still is so prevalent in Discovery. Like, I love Discovery's emphasis on science, because, I mean, Discovery the ship was, as you said, a science vessel. But even after, you know, participating in the Klingon War, it's still dealing with so much science. Like, Tilly and Stamets and all their discoveries with like the spore drive and all these things. Like I, I love this stuff. Yeah. It's so geeky, but I love it. And uh, yeah, like they discover asteroids that are denser than like anything else imaginable and they have to bring it on board and they have to do like to use like a gravity well to do it. Like there's a lot of fun stuff, you know, it's sort of like the, the vision of Star Trek that 
Roddenberry wanted, but with the uh, special effects of modern age. Like, there's a lot of things that ended up just being a glowing cloud off in space, but now you can be like, no, it's not just a glowing cloud. Um, I mean, never forget that Roddenberry invented Tribbles. True. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, that's... Oh boy, Tribbles. Don't you love the trouble with them. The, the trouble, trouble with Tribbles. Tribbles, Tribbles. Listen, that shot of William Shatner just in a pile of Tribbles is iconic. Which you could tell that, like, it's probably just people, pe- like, the crew behind him just, like, chucking Tribbles down the that, that, um... <laughs> Can you imagine, uh, like, what a fun gig that would have been? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be really fun to, to like, pet. Yeah. It yeah. seems that they multiply um, it just so much. That's what I love um, when in the JJ movie, the first one that they have, like when they first meet Scotty, there's like a little tribble. Um, and I'm now I'm like, I really hope Discovery includes Tribble somehow. I'm, I'm sure they will, because if they included Harry Mud, they can include Tribbles. <laughs> Hardcore Fenton Mud, played by Dwight Schrute himself, Rain Wilson. When he showed up in season one, I was just like, what? And now in this season we have Tig Taro. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah, I she's no great. I Tig was going to be in Star Trek. I remembered her casting, but then I forgot about it. So when she showed up, I was like, whose voice is that? Because you hear her voice first. Yeah. And it was Tig Taro. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I will say, um, Anya, you haven't listened to them. You haven't watched the most recent episode, but she is in that one. And she has so much more to do. And she's so good in it. I hope she sticks around. She and Stamets have the best relationship in terms of like their their like dichotomy is so good. They're like the opposite end of the engineering spectrum. It's so it's so funny. Perfect. Um, All right. So science, as you can see with Tig and um, Paul Stamets, who's played by Anthony Rapp, um, you have these like these science officers and people who want to discover things and create things and. It just, it, it's very, this is why Star Trek has always been the sci-fi to Star Wars. It's like space opera fantasy. Yeah. Like, people are like, that's sci-fi theory. But I'm like, Star Trek is far more actually like science fiction. Yep. Um, What do you like about that? And how it's cell- manifested in Discovery? We have cell phones because of Star Trek. So, like, I love the idea of pushing science for- forward with science fiction. And I really like the idea that Star Trek is, um, you know, in the most recent episode, they referenced the fact that there was global warming on Earth and then we all wisened up and got solar panels on our toasters and it worked out. You know, like they talk about how like, you know, it's a little there's... depressing. It's a little too close to reality right now. Yeah, we're not going to do that. They were, you know, they're talking, they were talking about how like, you know, we solved the climate change problem by like, by using science and like getting better at it. And, that's what Star Trek is all about, which is all about furthering humanity and making us the best of ourselves and, and like using the, the theater of space as a way of showcasing what we can do as human beings. And like the spore drive is something that is so interesting because it's, you know, it's grown. These, these spores that are grown from these mushrooms have these uh, this ability to tap into this network that can take you literally anywhere in the in the multiverse um and you have to navigate it using like a human like human spore connection that they have to create because it needs an organic being to navigate the spore drive itself like at first they were using this like huge tardigrade um because tardigrades are usually like minuscule but for this some reason the, the tardigrade they found in space was like three times the size of a human it was a, a huge water bear yeah. um and so they but they ended up using uh anthony Grapp's character um as like the sort of human connection that they need to navigate the spore drive through the mycelial network i believe it's called i think so. um and science jargon is fun isn't it it is so fun but i like that like with like Stamets being part of the four drive and stuff like they are now also exploring kind of the consequences of that and like the fact that like being explorers and like being scientists who kind of like push the boundaries is that like there are going to be unexpected consequences or like roadblocks that you're going to have to navigate and um you know and they have to um, come together to do it exactly exactly and Stamets I think is really interesting I mean 
obviously for me, like it, it's really great to see like an openly like gay character on Star Trek. Um, and the fact that like he was in a relationship with a man in the first season. Um, played by uh, Wilson Cruz, who played Dr. Hugh. And mm-hmm. he was like, I don't th- I don't believe he was the chief medical officer, but he definitely was a doctor on board. He was a doctor. Um, I'm going to do a spoiler for season one. So if you haven't seen season one, you can go ahead and skip like the next couple minutes. Um, but Star Trek kind of made that that cardinal sin when it comes to queer characters. And they did. they killed off Dr. Hugh. That being said, um, immediately after it happened, you know, like the actor and the writers and everything said that like, this is not the end of their story um both individual characters and as like a love story and so you know for that reason i think they recognize that this is going to have ramifications larger than the show itself with fans and i'm i'm choosing to believe in hope a star trek teaches you to do and that their story isn't over we have seen hugh a couple times in season two already yeah he was in the mycelial network as like this like vision to uh stand and it's and unclear so, if he's real or not, but I be, I choose to believe that he's actually there. I I choose to believe that too, and I I think we will see more of Wilson Cruz as Doctor Hugh, and I think eventually as we go on, I think it'll become it'll start becoming out of the mycelial network. I think we're gonna start to see all everything the universe and science is capable of. Perhaps yeah. even bringing someone back from the dead or. And I think they were they were a great like interesting couple because it's you know at first I didn't realize they were together but then they were and I was like oh that's fun mm-hmm. um and you know you know it's something that Star Trek doesn't really ever do even with I mean I guess in Star Trek Next Generation they delve into relationships on board because it, they're in an extensive like uh, away mission so like relationships do happen and there are families on board that yeah. I believe Kirk didn't have but Picard did which is ironic considering Picard didn't ever like children so like yeah. it's like <laughs> that they have children on board is sort of a this weird outlier in terms of like you know the fact that you're taking these kids out in the into god knows where um yeah I um but it's cool because it's like yeah th- th- these these people are humans and humans have emotional connections to other humans it, it, you you know these these people even though they're in a federation they're in like this like military not military they're in this like you know organization they're gonna you know develop feelings for each other so it only makes sense that there's people who are in relationships on board um gay or straight like it doesn't matter star trek and star trek is all about kind of like the fact that like you know your feelings as a human being do not have to be like a hindrance to you they can be an asset to how you care about your crew and how you treat your crew and the way you fight for your crew willoughby which is what the whole season one arc of michael burnham was exactly she was raised as a vulcan even though she's human the iron you know she's the other side of the coin with spock and she learns to develop feelings for you know not just uh romantic but also platonic feelings for her crew members she's able to connect with them and become friends with them the fact that the first episode with Tilly, you think that it's going to be this awkward relationship where, you know, Michael's this closed off person and Tilly's trying to get to know her. But by the end of it, they're best friends. Like, Michael and Tilly, and Tilly are wonderful. It's such a great female friendship that you don't really see because, you know, Michael's someone who is higher up in, st- in status, but technically, spoiler alert for the first three episodes or for the first season, she's, uh, uh, she was uh, a mutineer um, and so she was placed in jail and you know taken out of jail to be on the discovery but she's still like she's not an official member of the crew but so Tilly has more ranking than her but Michael has more experience than her so the yeah. two of them together are this interesting uh, uh, pair who have to like basically um, pull each other up by each other's bootstraps and I think it's really cool and I think Tilly in general is just a really wonderful character Um, you know they haven't kind of said anything on this but um i think people could definitely probably read tilly as someone who is maybe on the spectrum um and i i love tilly because of her like her resilience and her optimism and the fact that like she has ambitions for herself to one day be a captain um and she doesn't let um anything about herself or maybe what people perceive her to be to kind of limit her and she proves that she's capable and i love that like everyone 
on the board on, on Discovery like supports her. Like Michael does, Stamets does, Saru, now Pike. And it's just like this this idea of like having a family on a starship and that you actually support each other and like want each other to succeed. Um and yeah, I think Tilly and Michael like there's an episode. Tilly has been having a very interesting uh plot in season two so far. Um, when it comes to kind of let's we say um um ghosts from her past. Yes. And the fact that she is willing to open up to Michael about it and that Michael immediately believes her and supports her and wants to help her. And like that's that's Star Trek. Yeah, it totally like subverted my expectations that it was gonna be something where she's not gonna tell anybody until it's too late or whatever. And you know, she got she I mean clearly like her character didn't want to tell anybody, but the show itself pushed her to open up to Michael about this issue that that is essentially a nervous breakdown or something other. You know, there's more to it, but like at first it looks like a nervous breakdown. So you know, that's a really uh, interesting take on mental health in Star Trek that we Agreed. don't really see. Yeah. Um, the they don't really talk about self care in Star Trek. And the but, fact that you know you're on you're on a, a sp- like a limited space, like if you're on a starship for however many years, like that is the only place you can be. You know, surrounded by the same people, and how and and being out in space and kind of the the, the inherent loneliness of that, even when you are surrounded by a crew. Um, and I think it's very. I agree. The fact that they've kind of they're starting to like explore things about like mental health and, you know how that can affect you and a lesser show would have continued to pit Michael and Tilly against each other. Yeah. Or like they wouldn't have a relationship at all or it'd be, you know, Tilly would just be like a minor, minor character instead of being like a a major character. Like I'd say she's one of the top seven crew members of yeah. like, she's, she's, she's in engineering, you know, usually we only know of the, of the main engineer, which in this case would be Stamets. But now we have like, you know, several people in engineering that we like know and love. And like the mm-hmm. bridge crew is fascinating because it's like mostly women. Yeah. Um, the, there's Captain Lorca and then Pike and then Saru. And then um, I'm forgetting their names, but because they don't say their names a lot. No, uh, they don't. But, but I they're, can picture them all in my head. The, the, two, the two people helming the ship are women, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Um, and, and you know the thing is I've seen I've seen criticism criticism of the show, especially from like men, um, but not Willoughby because Willoughby's perfect, um, but like other men who are basically like decrying the show for like having diversity for diversity's sake and like just having like ugh like because Michael Burnham our lead character is a black woman, and again like I said we've had gay characters and a lot of female characters which is really wonderful um. And a lot of diversity. And I think what people are forgetting when they criticize that, because they're like, you know, white men who don't like the fact that they're no longer the main characters, are forgetting the fact that in the original Star Trek series, we had a Russian character in the middle of the Cold War, like the actual Cold War that was happening right. in our world. We had an Asian character and we had a black woman. And I'm like, Star Trek has always been about, like, humanity seeing past these things and diversity coming together and you know people working together it's like you're missing the if you say you're a star trek fan and you don't like diversity and discovery you're not you don't like star trek no like that's the that's the wildest thing about any of these like criticisms about the the modern takes on these shows that are doing doing the work to be more diverse star wars star trek we're seeing, you know, characters that don't look like me on, you know, on in major roles on mainstream television and movies, and they're pissed because the dudes aren't in charge. Like, I don't know why they're so angry and so mad. Just my dudes, my fellow dudes who hate this. Take, I'm going to say something. I'm just going to say it. Go home and rethink your life. If you're mad that the main character is a woman, a black woman, a gay character, anything that isn't a straight white Christian male, you need to go home and rethink your life. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's a problem. That is not good. That is 
that is fundamentally bad if you don't agree that you should be the main character. If you th- if you can take a back seat, if you can give a little bit of out of the, a little bit of the pie to someone else and just take yours and go home, that would be fine. Please do that. Don't be mad. Why are you so mad? Why? What's what's going to happen? Are you yeah. like you're still represented? Yeah. It's not a problem. The fact and Pike that other is great. People, <laughs> Pike is great. Pike is Pike is the 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 you know platonic ideal of a man and who was not threatened by Michael or the women surrounding him. No, he and, he lifts them up. Yeah. Like his his number one on Star on the Enterprise is a, is a woman. Like yeah. that's great. My dudes. My dudes. <laughs> and speaking of badass women, uh Michelle Yao. She's Yo. great. Uh she's wonderful. I'm so glad she's back. Yeah. So there was like a huge criticism at the, fir- the during the beginning when her character was killed off. But spoiler alert, she comes back, but she's not quite the same. Yeah, because... we're not going to actually how. Yeah, we won't say how. That's for you to go on to watch the show, but she does she definitely comes back for most of the second half of the season and she's in season 2 is very good. And, and she's very... probably I think she's getting in her own series. There's like a mention of it. Oh, that would be um, awesome. Yeah, I believe I believe there are rumors, and they talked about it at on at the TCAs that like it's still being developed, developed, but it's still like a thing that's gonna happen. And you know the thing I love about like that, like her getting her own theory, the fact that like she's just in this, um, or all the women kind of in Star Trek is that um, there has long been this idea that science fiction is a genre you know, enjoyed almost exclusively by men. Even yeah. though the fact that a woman, it was a woman who invented science fiction in the first place, hello, Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. Um, but there is this, there's this idea that science fiction is an inherently kind of like male genre. Um, and I'm going to go a little off track here, but I'll bring it back to Star Trek. But I think about Janelle Monet, Okay. Singer, uh, actor, wonderful person that she is and her first few albums which were very sci-fi heavy oh yeah as you know will and she's talking in interviews about being a sci-fi fan and like loving um because what is her one of her albums is um i keep wanting to say metropolis but that is you're right no you're right the first three albums of her her career are a reinvention of the Fritz Lang Metropolis movie. Yes, yes. Okay, so I was on the right track. I was like... Yeah, you were. I'm, yeah, and so, like, and she's talked about that um, and how much she loves Fritz Lang and sci-fi, and I'm like, yes, because women also love science fiction, and now we are seeing that, you know, represented in Star Trek this way, um, which I think is just wonderful, because science fiction can be for everyone. Yeah, that's the thing about like fiction. It can be <laughs> literally represented for everybody. Yeah. And the fact that yeah, I'm 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 come I'm still on this. The fact that dudes are getting so mad that Ray is the main <laughs> character in Star Wars can fuck off into the abyss. <laughs> Listen, um I need everyone to know that Willoughby Dobbs really loves Ray. Ray is great. She's Finn a little, great. She's a, she's everybody a little, is great. She's a little sunshine peanut. Little peanut. <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about Star Wars. No, that's for next week when they revealed the title, and that I'm so desperately wanting them to. <laughs> and also, you can be both a Star Trek fan and a Star Wars fan at the same time. Something I had to deal with in high school, where I had to, you know, sort of like walk that line of being a Star Trek fan or a Star Wars fan. It was you, almost like, like I was did, child did, of two worlds. Did people give you shit for it, or did you yourself kind of internalize that you had to like? Oh, it was very much internalized. Okay. It was very much an internal conflict that I had to resolve. Okay, but now you're just like, I can love both. Yes, I could love both, because, like, my dad loved both, but he was more of a Star Wars, Star Trek fan, but I was more of a Star Wars fan, and I'm like, oh, I gotta, but I love both. And like we, like I mentioned at the beginning, they're actually two different genres. They They might both take place in space, but one is a fantasy, and one is more of the, like, kind of... Uh, pure science fiction that we think about. Right. Um, the, X- the X-Wing cannot exist in Star Trek. No. 
Which is why, like, a show like Battlestar Galactica, I'd say, leans more towards Star Wars, even though, like, their ship and military and everything is very, very reality based. But then you get, like, the uh, those the birds that fly out in space that fly like an X-Wing. I also think BSD just has some of the more um, uh, fantasy-esque themes. And because, like, Star Trek is something that rarely deals with things like religion or... Although in the second episode of season two, we do that. Um, <clears throat> and kind of things like that. Like, Star Trek doesn't quite delve into some of those themes that, like, BSG and Star Wars dive into. Um, but they all... I think what's interesting about science fiction, especially in, like, the idea of, like, the future and technology and stuff, is the idea of... Um, ethics and morals um, where is Cheedy why is he not the third person on our episode right now ha. I need him to tell me all about philosophy in Star Trek um, that would I'm be sure there's a book about it there is I'm sure um, but the idea of kind of like when you are in the future and you know earth is no longer habitable or where humanity's gone and the idea of you know what's next and what's morally right and you know I like that Star Trek doesn't sort of kind of say okay humans are the superior and they control all of the universe um which is what the mirror universe wants exactly evil universe wants exactly um but Star Trek is very much about kind of you know people working together Whereas something like Star Wars is... Star Wars has clearer bad guys and good guys. Yeah. Star Trek is much more... Morally gray. And... Morally gray until it comes to the mirror universe, I'd say. Because then it's all Nazis. It's like all fascists. Yeah. Which, I mean, Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah. Space Nazis. Um, It's like mirror universe is sort of like... Uh, the universe of Star Wars, and that Star Wars has more has more extremes, I guess, yeah. on the moral spectrum, whereas yeah. Star Trek sort of envisions a universe that is uh, more nuanced, and you know, like we've talked about, Klingons sort of like posing themselves as like the bad guys to the Federation um, in the Klingon War or the Romulans, but you know, in Star Trek The Next Generation, Worf is a Klingon, and he is a major character on the starship. Right. And he's a good guy. It's the it's the interesting, like, in-universe reference to the fact that we had a Russian character in on the bridge crew in the original series. Worf exactly. is the... If you consider the, Rus- the, the Klingons to be the Russian um, metaphor... Worf is the Chekhov of the next generation in that in that sense where like time has passed the Klingons and the Federation are cooler with each other um which they talk about they 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 interestingly enough deal with grudging like the grudges of the past in Star Trek 6 the undiscovered country with Kirk Kirk is a huge racist when it comes to Klingons um he does not like them one bit because a one of the Klingons killed his son and uh, the son that he only knew for 15 minutes, but the son that he knew um, and he has resented the Klingons like passionately since that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and they talk about how that, you know, they rightly show that that is not great. Um, yeah. In, in Star or Trek the 6. Way they... is treated as a half human. Yeah. Like some Vulcans. Oh, Vulcans are very racist yes. against humans. There's they some deep seated resentment there. Oh my god, yes, very much so. And and but that's kind of like I, I appreciate so when you look at the original Star Trek and Star Trek Discovery and kind of just Star Trek as a whole, and the fact that Roddenberry he did not put forth this perfect world where we are now in a, like, post-racial society or, like, a post-sexism or post-prejudice. Like, he, he was not putting... As, as inherently optimistic and hopeful as Star Trek is, Roddenberry didn't completely say, like, we're over that now. Like, racism doesn't exist anymore. He did he, say that we were over money, which means that he is clearly um, an anarchist, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that might be the path we need to take. 
Yeah. Just saying. The Enterprise um, was built for zero dollars and maybe a couple hugs. I do like hugs. Hugs are great. Um, but yeah, like no, he he doesn't. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. What I was gonna say is like, as much as he puts like the diversity forth and the fact that like people can come together and work for a greater cause, he doesn't ignore the fact that like these deep rooted problems in society will probably never go away really and he acknowledges that while also still striking a tone of hope and optimism right it's sort of like coming together to like um you know resolve conflict where there can be resolution but he's not calling for like everybody to be the same he's calling for people to like treat others the way others want to be treated like yeah and there's still going to be and there will still be discrimination and there's still going to be prejudice and there's still going to be biases biases in society like that's never going to go away and that's why i think you know people sometimes say about star trek that it's like it's it's almost too like the men who complain about star trek server being too diverse and it's like it's too like the future is not going to look like this where we're all going to like work together and i'm like but star trek doesn't show everyone working together it shows that like these problems still do exist it's just a matter of coming together to try and combat them um or believing believing in humanity and other species in this case have inherent goodness in them to overcome this right it's optimism in the face of adversity yeah exactly which is I mean, that's one of our favorite themes, I think, in yes. any sort of media. And I'll talk about that in 15 minutes. Ooh. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. Um, yes. So, yeah, I just, I think Star Trek is something that's very special, honestly. And I'm very glad we have Discovery. Um, you know, it's, it's our first Star Trek show since Enterprise, which aired... A long time ago. Uh, in the in the early 2000s, I believe yeah. 2001 Which to 2000. I actually think Enterprise got a bad reputation. I think if you go back to Enterprise, it's not as bad as people think it was. I watched it in a vacuum, as in I didn't know what people thought about it, and I liked it. Yeah, I think Enterprise. Like I don't think it's the best Star Trek series, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as people make it out to be. It was an interesting uh, premise in terms of like this is not the Kirk world of. Yeah. Star Trek that we know there's no Federation. This is just Earth sort of, you know, heading out into the stars for the first time with major warp, um, on, you know, abilities. So like you're, we really are discovering things for the first time. Whereas with, by the time you get to Kirk and Picard, like a lot of the a lot of the Alpha Quadrant, has been uh, you know, mapped. You know, yeah. There's like you know. Enterprise is coming out being like, we're the NXO one. We are number one. We don't know what we're doing. Um, and, you know, as you as we know from Star Trek Beyond uh, and, and the JJ verse, uh, Ad, uh, Captain Archer eventually became an admiral. So, like, things are good. Exactly. Oh. And, you know, so it's been a while since we've had a Star Trek series. We've had, we had, as we mentioned, we had like the JJ movies kind of in between, um, which are great. Um, some more than others, but I and, uh, darkness is shit. Yep. Um, I genuinely love those movies. Um, and I think the cast is fantastic and I that is definitely like a Star Trek that I love. Um, but I'm also I'm also so happy to have it back on TV and to get episodes again because I feel like Star Trek really is best when I feel like as a story, Star Trek works best as a television show I agree. where you can have kind of these exploratory missions from episode to episode. Um, again, I think Star Wars works best as movies, as kind of spectacles, and Star Trek is much better for this uh, sort of smaller, more intimate, like episode to episode storytelling. I like that the movies are dealing with characters we know already. Yes. If, if they were brand new characters, I don't think we would have the same love and adoration be, unless they were like really really well crafted characters agreed like excellently performed that we can immediately fall in love with because the beauty of those movies is that oh we already know who these characters are let's see these the, them do something in an in a different timeline you know like it's like this uh fun reboot of characters classic characters whereas star trek discovery 
I believe rightly did the good thing of becoming a TV series where you can get to know Michael Burnham and you can get to know Saru and understand, you know, see where they're going. And I think that's really the smart move here. And yes. I, I think Star, Star Trek, I agree, is best on TV. And I think Discovery is, is has already started to strike the balance, but I think even more so. Whereas the original series was very much sort of a um, episode to episode storytelling um they had some like two-parter episodes and stuff but it was not very serialized much at all um mm-hmm. whereas i think discovery is going to start striking that balance of having like the uh the planet missions that last only an episode long um while also having some of these overarching plots throughout the seasons um like this stuff with like tilly um and you know paul and hugh and you know so I think I think Discovery is going to prove to be a pretty wonderful show. I, agree. I think it already has for us, but I I just have this feeling that it's only going to get better. I agree. Um, hey Anya. Hey Willoughby. What's your favorite? Who's your favorite character? I love both Michael and Tilly, but I think I'm gonna have to say Tilly is kind of my favorite right now. I'm same. I love everything she represents. I think she's the best character on the show. Yeah. Um, even though I love Michael Burnham, I think she's great. Um, I think maybe it's the ginger representation, but like Fair. I think Tilly had Tilly has so much um, like youth and optimism that I like gravitate towards. So yeah, same. And again, I just I feel like Tilly really is that character. You know, this is gonna sound really cheesy, but like Willoughby, you and I are the cheesiest people ever. Oh yes. Um. And I, I I love it. Um, but Tilly really does show that like you can do anything you set your mind to, and yeah. even if you think you have limitations, you can still do it. Yeah. Man, and that's what Star Trek is all about too. Like the Federation is just like we can do this. We can. My favorite parts of the show are where my favorite parts of the show are where they are trying to solve a problem and they do that thing where each person leads off another person in terms of like they're like oh blah 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 but we could do this in engineering oh we could do this in, in on the bridge and then we'll do this in the in the in you know blah 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 and we'll we'll do this out in the, on space dock and like they do this whole thing where they can like solve the problem and you know they do that in star trek beyond when they're trying to figure out how to like get the mm-hmm. uh, spacecraft off the planet yeah and they they bring that to discovery then um in terms of like these people are working together it's not just the captain solving the problem you know it's this entire crew who are you know they they vary in ranks but they're still given equal time to talk and Mm -hmm. i think that's why i really like captain pike as a new addition because he's very much of that matter of like I'm going to let you speak and then I'm going to take your advice or refute it or do something, you know, take it in to, you know, note it and then we'll solve this together. He's yeah. not the, I'm going to go down to the planet and fight God and then come back. Even though Kirk was that, but also he did, you know, you know, ask for help with his crew. But I feel like a lot of, a lot of that was, he goes down and fights someone and comes back and he doesn't have a shirt anymore. Um, yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so I think that the beauty of Star Trek is humanity working together to further uh, the hope hope of mankind across the galaxy, across the stars. Now I'm just emotional. I'm just Star Trek makes me emotional. And I'm so glad Star Trek exists. And I feel like Discovery came at the right time. As it well. did. It, it, it was it was announced in like 2016, like early 2016, and then came out or maybe 2015. Either way, it was a while ago. Um, but it came out in 2017, um, and, and now it's, <coughs> excuse me, season two has co- just come out, and I think that we really need optimism right now. I agree. There is a, and- there's a sense of darkness out there, and we need to combat that. And I think Star Trek is the perfect way to do that. And I and think I, that's I think the perfect that- way to end our episode. I was just going to say the same thing. Uh. Well, we're not ending yet, because we do not have one more segment. And now we're moving on to our last segment of the episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Willoughby. 
Yes. You mentioned continuing the theme of optimism. So why don't you let us know what you really like first? The Lego Movie 2, the second part. Um, Everything is awesome again. Just kidding. Uh, They're in a hellscape and they have to... uh, get better that's like the plot of the movie that's what i love about the lego i'm going i'm I'm diving right into this the lego movie too is about uh optimism in the sense of adversity it's a wonderful wonderful continuation of the first movie um it's got like this mad max type at first act which is like very like interesting but then you have like emmett as like the same dude who Mm -hmm. hasn't like changed um yeah and like that's like the whole like part of the part of the plot of the movie is Emmett grasping with uh, toxic masculinity as something that either to like aspire to or to reject, as well as like all these characters put in a position that they have to somehow you know rely on and get the better of the of the of the constant the the circumstances that they've been placed in. Um, that's a lot of uh, hard words for a children movie, but uh, it's it's very good. It's by um, Lord Miller are writing it. They're not directing it this time because they were working on Solo, and so they couldn't direct. Well, (laughs) ironically, of the three projects that they were working on, uh, Spider-Verse and Lego Movie 2 came out a lot better um, than uh, Solo as a a redo. So, you know, we've talked about this, but I still kind of wonder what that movie would have been like. I know that they were not... The, apparently the greatest um, directors on a set uh, produced by Disney and Lucasfilm. So who knows? Um, but yeah. like uh, the Lego movie two is an excellent follow-up um, and deals with uh, a lot of themes that we're dealing with are in real life, I'd say um, in terms of like, there's a lot of shit going on and uh, trying to be, trying to be better of it is and how we overcome it and how we overcome it is sort of like the, the theme here um and like there's a theme of working together to to make a better w- world for each other so like i really like it um i, I know I'm, you, you you weren't really jazzed about this movie but i think there's a lot of themes in the movie that i think you, you'd really love you definitely sold me because like i thought the first one was very clever very funny um visually appealing but it did that gosh darn trope that i hate where the unqualified man is the hero over the qualified woman. I'm like, this movie should be about Lucy. Like, it should not be about Emmett. And um, luckily, the second movie is more about Lucy, as well as still being about Emmett. Um, it's sort of like if Emmett was the main character and Lucy was the supporting character, I'd say they moved her up to being much more of a main character. She has her own plot. She has her own agency. She's, like, doing her own thing to, like, you know get out of this situation, you know, resolve conflicts and stuff. Whereas Chris Pratt's Emmett still has his own trajectory, which with another character voiced by Chris Pratt, who is basically a little bit of spoiler alert, the toxic masculinity version of Chris Pratt, of, of, of Chris Pratt's career. Um, where I love he's it like, so much. Like he, that definitely he, sold me. He references being a dino wrangler, an archeologist, a cowboy, like all these things that Chris Pratt has done as like, since becoming since since doing uh the, the first lego movie um and they sort of like he's like a dark reflection of emmett's character so it's very it's very good um it's a shame he can't say that he also like once worked in like a city hall like where are all our references to andy wire Emmett's sort of a uh he, he's not exactly city hall but he is definitely uh probably public works <laughs> yeah <laughs> very andy-esque too i would say yeah um, um there's i think yeah, why emmett is probably chris pratt's best role since parks and rec he oh definitely i would agree i think that it's a his best role and and like his best performance in terms of like what he's doing um because all his like star lord and uh the character from jurassic world and the character Owen. from like, seven owen i guess that's his name um they don't have any there's like no humor and no life to those characters um but i will say that but yeah it's the uh google earth always taking pics uh version of 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 these characters but i i think that he does excellent work as emmett um 
That's awesome. So, uh, and awesome. still, he, he still does, yeah, everything is awesome. He still does good work in Lego Movie 2. Um, and, yeah, no, it's just a really, it's a really good movie. Um, you have sold me. I wasn't going to go see it, but I think that now I probably should. I think you should. I think you would like it. I, I think you're probably right. Um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears a little bit. I'm still talking about happy things. I'm talking about what I really like, but um, not a movie and it's not sci-fi and it's not overcoming adversity. Um, I'm sticking with my musical theater theme from last week because that has just been <laughs> my biggest source of joy in the past few weeks. Um, this week, I saw the classic musical Hello, Dolly at the local uh, Hollywood theater, The Pantages. Hello, Dolly is uh, an old classic like old-fashioned musical, um, and they revived it recently. It won several Tonys, um, and I got to see the national tour of it. And Betty Buckley was in it, and she's wonderful. It was like seeing Broadway royalty, which is pretty special if you're a big Broadway fan like me. Um, so Hello, Dolly! takes place in 1880s New York City, and it is essentially just a a comedy of errors and... Uh, satire and people falling in love and people mistaking people for other people. It's delightful. Dolly is uh, a matchmaker in New York and she likes to get her hands in everything. Just literally get in everyone's lives and meddle and, but she does it all from a very good place and she's actually a very wonderful character. It's not like her meddling ever really actually is bad. She's not one of those characters. Um, and it's just, it's so delightful. The music is so catchy. The costumes are wonderful. I'm going to throw my friends under the bus here uh, because I went to see it alone because me and a lot of my friends have season tickets and none of them decided to put Hello Dolly into their season package because they were like, ugh, an old-fashioned musical, like, whatever. So I'm throwing them under the bus because they missed out because it was a delightful night um, full of happiness and... There are actually a couple lines that I think strike this optimism thing that I think you would like, Willoughby. One of them is just very simple, like, the world is full of wonderful things said by characters who haven't really gone out to, like, experience the world yet. And once they do, they realize that there are a lot of great things out there and a lot of great people and, like, things to see and experience and it's wonderful. And this musical, I did not realize, but it's, like, very socialist. <laughs> um, there's a line that is basically a pile of money is like a pile of manure. If it sits there, it doesn't do anything. But once you spread it around, it helps things grow and creates new things in the world. Huh. And I was like, I was not expecting a lesson in socialism and the takedown of capitalism. But here yet, we are. Here we are. And I was like, yes, this is what I want. <laughs> so Musical theater socialism. Surprisingly socialist. Um, did not know that. Um, but just a wonderful, wonderful show. And it is very old fashioned. It very much feels like an old classic musical, which I love. Um, and a little two-parter. In LA, we have a piano bar uh, where we have live pianists who play songs and you sing along at the top of your lungs and a lot of the stuff they play is typically like musical theater or disney and then occasionally like a lot of like pop hits um it's owned by darren chris who occasionally pops up <laughs> so that's what darren chris is doing with his life um and they have uh drinks themed after they're like made after all the shows that are going through the Pantages. And so I was there on Friday night and I had the Hello Dolly drink and it was delicious. And I just love musical theater and also musical theater that preaches socialism. <laughs> so my only uh, knowledge of Hello Dolly is I believe that's the musical in WALL-E that um, he like watches. Or is that another, or is that a different one? Oh, Bye Bye Birdie. No, it's not Bye Bye Birdie. Birdie? Or is it, I think it's either Hello Dolly or Bye Bye Birdie. It's not, I know for a fact it's not Bye Bye Birdie. Okay. Um, I think it is, because I think he's, uh, like, put on your Sunday clothes or, like. Yeah, um, that's the one. Yeah, so then it would be Hello Dolly. Um, 
like so. Wally Wally learns to love because of that movie. So I think that that's special. That a robot well, can learn to love. There you go. Now I think people should absolutely see Hello Dolly. Come on. That's wonderful. That's delightful. Um, so Hello Dolly is great. Um and I think people should give things a chance if they don't. Again, you're throwing your friends under the bus here. I am. I don't care. (laughs) You're just like, I think people should give it a chance. Friends. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm loving Hello, Dolly and musicals. um, And anything that preaches optimism and the fact that the world is actually a wonderful place. Yeah, everything is awesome. Everything is awesome and the world is full of wonderful things. And that is our episode bringing you a little bit of light in this dreary world. Um, If you guys have any thoughts on optimism in media, including Star Trek Discovery or the Lego Movie 2 or musicals like Hello, Dolly, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can listen to us on SoundCloud, and you can rate, review, and subscribe, and listen to us on iTunes and Google Play. And where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us. Bye! Bye!